Have you ever been excited about a big idea or felt motivated to act on a cause that really lights a fire beneath you? But then the fear of judgment, not knowing the next steps, and just overall self-doubt get in your way? Then you are in the right place. Hello friends, and welcome to Driving Well Indigenous. I'm your host, Jill Featherstone. In this podcast, we will hear from movers and shakers and change makers who are out there doing the work and have come to share their stories to help make our journeys just a little bit more easier. So buckle up and let's get started. Hello, friends, and welcome to the podcast. So before we get back to some more interviews, I wanted to do one more solo episode. And in this episode, I would like to talk a little bit about my book. And not so much the book itself, but I wanted to talk about the process behind what it took to write my book. And the reason that I want to talk about this is because I really, really strongly feel that following your dreams is such a huge undertaking in life. And it's just something that we aren't encouraged to do a lot of. We're always encouraged to go out and become a teacher or a nurse or a police officer. But when you're really good at something and when you show a lot of talent or interest in an area that's more creative when you're younger, nobody really tells you to pursue that area. People always want you to do it safe. And in my adult years, I've met so many people that are artists and musicians, and I so admire their bravery. I wanted to be a writer since I was a little girl, and throughout the years, I had so many instances where I hand in a piece of writing, and it was always met with either shock or surprise, and never encouragement. And because I never got that encouragement, I never really had it in my mind that I could pursue writing in the future, but I knew that I really, really wanted to. And as I got older, when um, I was in university, there were instances where I would hand in a piece of writing and I would get accused of plagiarism. I actually almost got kicked out of university four times because the instructors kept on accusing me of plagiarism. And each and every time I would have to fight and plead my case. And, you know, I would have to beg them, like, show me where you think I plagiarized. You can't just accuse me of plagiarism because my writing was so well done, you know, that I could not have done that work myself. And they could never find the source that they were accusing me of plagiarizing from. And when I was doing my master's program, I actually, I almost quit school because the instructor just would not meet with me. He just assumed I plagiarized and was ready to toss me out of school. No questions asked. They wouldn't give me a hearing. I fought with them for two weeks straight. I barely ate. I barely slept during the time. Oh, no, I was so stressed out. And I went to my husband and I said, you know what? I just, I just feel like quitting. I can't even do this anymore. And, you know, he wouldn't let me quit. You know, he said, you came this far, you're almost done. It was my second last course in my master's degree. He said, you can't quit now. So I gave it one last push and I emailed the university. I told them that I was going to bring all of these people with me. And I I name dropped a bunch of people that I don't even know. I named indigenous politicians and, you know, all types of people. And I said, we're going to storm the university and we're going to bring CBC radio, uh, news and all of these, um, uh, new, I was going to alert the newspapers and stuff. 
So as soon as I threatened them with the media, that's when they finally agreed to see me. And long story short, I was able to prove my case and I did not have to resort to using the race card. But I do believe that because I was Indigenous, they were discriminating against me. But I did not want to use that against them. I wanted to prove my case based on, you know, my own academic abilities. And I won. And uh, I took my 13-year-old daughter with me. And I wanted her to see me in this victory. And um, the dean of the university had to apologize to me. Well, he was the instructor. He was an instructor at the time, but then he became dean. And, um, you know, he's like, go ahead. Call me an asshole if you want. Just do it. And I was like, no, I just want my grade and I never want to see you again. And I walked out that door. But anyway, that's not what we're talking about. What we are talking about is instead of somebody, you know, reading my work and saying, wow, you know, you're a good writer. Maybe you, you should write a book or, you know, you should be a writer one day. It was always the complete opposite. And because I had that experience, um, it took me a really long time to actually write my book. I was almost 40 when I find, when I published my first novel. And I'm always encouraging young people when they have a passion to follow that passion because I don't want them, you know, wasting as many years as I did. And I also, I don't want, you know, people to think that, you know, I'm going to, I'm trying to force anybody to chase their dreams and, you know, not become this or that. But I really believe that you can have both. You know, if you have a creative passion, you know, you should be encouraged to follow that. It doesn't have to be your livelihood, but you should be encouraged to to see it through and see where it could take you. Okay, so what I did was I just wrote down 10 points that um, I kind of want to dive into just a little tidbits about my book because it's not that I had like I had this idea and then I sat down and you know each night wrote a little bit of my book until one day boom I had a whole novel uh it was a long 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 process and actually it was se- 7 years and if we go back even further from when I had the, the the initial ideas I had the initial ideas when I was in my early 20s but I didn't actually start writing the book until I was in my mid 30s so number 1 it took me 7 years to write this write my whole book and not because I had writer's block but because writing a book is a mental process I wanted it so bad yet some days I struggled with making the time I put my children, my husband, my job, my business, everything else first. And when I finally made time to write, I was always so exhausted. I would usually fall asleep with my laptop on my lap after getting maybe a page or even half a page written. And the crazy thing is that I knew everything that was going to happen. I could watch my book in my mind just like a movie. And... I just could not get the words out of my head onto the paper because it took such a long time. You know, just sometimes writing one page would take anywhere from three to four hours because you have to get everything right. Um, you have to describe what people are wearing. You have to describe the scenery. You have to write dialogue and you have to describe characters and you have to describe how they feel. It's just this huge, huge process. The next point I want to make is that 
the only person that really knew I was writing a book from the very beginning was my daughter, my daughter, Ariana. So I started writing the book when she was a little girl. And the only reason that she, she was the only person that knew is because she was the only person that truly believed in me. And when I would tell other people that I was writing a book, like family members and and stuff that, you know, people would always laugh at me or kind of just brush it off or not really think that I was serious about it. They didn't do that because they were trying to be mean. But I, I believe that, you know, they had that reaction. It's because it was something that just wasn't common. And maybe they didn't want to see me fail, or maybe they didn't think that I was capable of actually seeing it to the end. So I would only tell my daughter. And, you know, she was really, really excited. And she was the only one that was kind of matched my enthusiasm to see to see it to the end. And sometimes we have to do that. You know, sometimes when we tell people our big dreams or things that we're pursuing, they may project their own insecurities or their own limitations and limiting beliefs onto you without actually realizing that they're doing it. And this may dissuade you from, you know, pursuing it further. The next point and one of my favorite parts of my book journey is I wrote most or not most, I wrote half of my book sitting in my vehicle. Okay. So the reason that I wrote most of my or half of my book sitting in the truck is when COVID happened, I was already done half of my book and I already had the, um, the, the rest of the chapters outlined. And when we got that, when, you know, when COVID hit, I just had it in my mind. It's now or never. I begged for this time. I used to cry, you know, like literal tears because I could not find time to write or else I wasn't making time to write. I wasn't forcing myself to find time to write. And when COVID happened, it was like, there's the time, there's this time that I've been praying for. And if I don't take advantage of this time, then I don't even deserve to finish my book. And um me and my husband, we just decided, okay, this is it. I'm going to leave the house every morning and he's going to take care of everything else, like the kids, the housework, the cooking, and just so that I wouldn't have to worry about anything. And I would leave the house and I would go sit and write. So I'd take my bag, I would drive out to the lake and I would drive out to this a lake called Footprint Lake and I would park my vehicle by the water and the water was still frozen over because it was March. But it's just a place that I felt really, really comfortable. I always felt comfortable just sitting by the water and writing. And it was also far enough away that I would lose cell service so that I could not be distracted by my phone or I, you know, wouldn't distract myself by my phone. And then I would just put my laptop on my lap and I would just start writing and sitting there on the side of the road, just parked in a vehicle. And I would sit there for hours and hours, like literally hours. And I would take snacks with me, my pop or coffee and water, toilet paper, just everything that I needed so that I could not come home until I was, you know, done the writing for the day. So I would sit there for anywhere from four to six hours every day. And then um the only time, the only reason that I would you know, leave from this spot is either, you know, I needed to get home because I was was time for supper or it was getting dark and I didn't want to be there in the dark. And, um, you know, I would just write and 
you know, I never got cramped, you know, sitting there, but I did develop tennis elbow when my book was over. And I don't know if it was, if it was from being cramped up or from carrying my bag because I would take my bag with me and it had all of my edits in there and it was really, really heavy. So I ended up with tennis elbow that um, hung around for about eight months after I finished my book. So the next point is on the drive out, uh, it would be about a 15 minute drive each day to go write my book. And um, I would listen to Oprah and JK Rowling's interview as I drove that 15 minutes to the lake to write each day. And, you know, I listened to that over and over and over again. Like I know every line by heart, I think, but I just resonated with JK Rowling on so many levels because she would sit in a cafe and write her book and sit in all the, you know, in the noise and stuff. Whereas I just sat in my truck. But the one thing that really stayed with me was when she said, you just have to believe. And my belief in myself was what kept me going. I never allowed myself to stop believing that someday I would finish my book. And even when it got really hard, even when I, you know, I felt like the end was so, so far away, I never allowed myself to stop believing, like not even once. Because I figured if I stop believing, then I might as well just put my book away. Because if I can't believe in myself, how could I ever finish? So I wouldn't, I never allowed myself to stop believing that someday that I would finish. And like JK Rowling, I knew the last line of my book from the very beginning. I knew exactly how it was going to end. I knew the very last line, well, basically the, the last paragraph. So I had written already the final paragraph in the, the final chapter before I, I had even finished the middle. The characters had a really long time to develop in my mind and their personalities and the stories behind them. You know, they even now they just live very strong in me. So I knew how the book needed to end right from day one. So another point is um, the outline of my book and the first couple of chapters were written while I drove. <laughs> and no, I didn't type while I was driving. But what would happen is because because I work as a traveling professor, I used to spend hours in the vehicle. So each community that I would have to travel to is anywhere from three to four hours each drive. So I was in my vehicle every week, you know, driving to these communities. So as I drove, all of my ideas would come, you know, would come to me and I couldn't write them while I drove. So what I would do is I would pull out my iPhone and I would go to the notes pages and then I would just hit the voice record button and then I would just talk into my phone. You know, all of the stories that I had, all the ideas, the events, the dialogue, everything. I would just like talk and talk and talk. And then when I was finished, I would send it to myself in an email. And then when I got home, I would cut and paste um, the body of the email and put it into my manuscript. So that didn't always work out the best because, you know, that talk to text thing doesn't always work. And then I would have to figure out, okay, what the heck was I trying to say here? But for the most part, it worked pretty, like really well. And I was able to try, like figure out, you know, pretty well what I wanted to say. And that was like pages and pages and pages I have on my phone. Um, just as I drove because I didn't want, I didn't want to lose the story. I didn't want to lose the idea. And, you know, I didn't want to have to pull over every time that I had an idea. So I would just talk into my phone. Oh yeah. Going back to the last point why I had to write in my truck. 
is because, you know, anybody who knows what it's like to be at home with your kids and, you know, everybody was at home, schools are shut down. So if I wanted to write, if I wanted any type of peace and quiet, I needed to actually leave the house and couldn't go to the office just because all the, everything was shut down. And I knew that if I stayed home and wrote, I would either be distracted by the kids or I would allow other things to distract me, like the housework or the cooking or the cleaning. And I knew that I would not give an uninterrupted time that my book needed. I, I knew that I would not do that if I stayed in my house. And, you know, I have five kids and I have three stepsons, but at the time, you know, my, my younger kids were, were still living at home. So our house was, um, really, really loud and full. And there was just no way that I would have been able to write at home. So I had mega fears of lateral violence as I neared the end of my book. And, you know, I like to think of myself as somebody who has a thick skin and I did, you know, I do a lot of work. And I have done a lot of work on myself to try block out uh, a lot of lateral violence. And, um, you know, I try not let, I try not to let it bother me in the way that I used to. But when the end drew near and the idea of my book reaching the hands of people, um, became more of a reality, I started to get really scared. And, but it's, I feared the rejection from my own people more than anyone else. And the people that knew me, because I tackled some really controversial issues and I wrote, I rewrote the tale of a well-known character and somebody, and, and it was also a book that, uh, or a play that had a lot of, uh, racial undertones to it. You know, I took on this character and these issues and I, and I was just basic, I was afraid. You know, I just wanted to make my people proud. I guess this leads me to my next point. I really think that I blocked out the fact that this book would be read by other, by other people other than Indigenous people. Because they always say when you choose your audience, when you write, choose who you're writing to. And my audience was Indigenous youth, specifically my own 16 year old self. You know, I wrote for me. I wrote for 16 year old me. And that's who I wrote for. And I wrote for Indigenous young people. So I never dreamed of in like in a million years that the book would be read by other people, which is, which is so silly because, you know, I don't know what I was thinking, but I kind of, ha I had these blinders on, I think. I'm almost thinking that it happened purposely because had I not had these blinders on, maybe I would have been afraid. Or maybe I would have allowed it to limit, you know, some of the things that I was writing about. And this, maybe the story wouldn't have been what it, what it became. But because I was just specifically writing for this, this small group, you know, the story stayed in the lane that it needed to. And when the book was actually released and it grew beyond my wildest dreams, you know, I've already zoomed into classrooms in Nunavut because the, the students there were reading my book. I zoomed into a classroom in India and they went to school in the evening at eight o'clock in the evening to come and meet me. And I was sitting behind my desk at six o'clock in the morning so that we could connect. And it was, you know, I just beyond my wildest dreams. 
I've been on podcasts as far as California and, you know, it's just growing and growing. And, um, I never expected that other people would be reading my book because I was so focused on, you know, our indigenous people, the indigenous population. I really, really wanted to please, please them. And I, and I wanted to make them proud. Yeah. And just, they were always first and foremost on my mind as I was writing. And I wrote the story. And that character in particular is because I wanted Indigenous young people to be able to see people that look like them in mainstream literature and, you know, in the big screen. Because I do have hopes that one day my book will be made into a movie. And the last point that I would like to talk about is I self-published my book. So this wasn't my initial plan, as, you know, most authors dream about being picked up by a major New York publishing house. But a lot of the, a lot of factors that went into making this decision is one being that in the early stages of my editing and um, beta reading processes, I had some suggestions to remove certain scenes and events. And, you know, even though I always welcome constructive criticism, like I, I wrote my book with constructive criticism, I sometimes felt that some of the suggestions that were made were made because the reader didn't fully understand the cultural aspects of what I was writing about. And I feared that if I was picked up by um, a traditional publisher, that too many things would be changed. And there were just some scenes and some events that I just couldn't part with. And there was, there's one in particular, I had been advised to take it out. And I, I really, I just couldn't, I couldn't bring myself to take it out. So I moved that scene to a different part of the book. And when I was, uh, I had some feedback from somebody who had read my book later after it was published. And she was telling me about this one part that, you know, it was so powerful. She said it brought her to tears. And the part that brought her to tears was the part that I was advised to take out. And I told her, I was like, you know, I, I they wanted me to take this out and I, I couldn't. And um, she's like, oh, I, I, you know, I just can't see the book without having this, you know, this piece in here. There was a lot of times like that where there was some things I just did not want to be removed. I didn't want things to be changed so much. And that was really what I was afraid of. I think also because it took me such a long time to write the book, I grew to love the characters and the story was so strong in my mind that I didn't want to part with it in any form. And because I'm a self-published author, I have full control over my book and my characters. And I also get to choose what I do with the royalties. And what I chose to do is every time I sell a book, I put some money aside and I donate it back to Youth Indigenous Leadership. I just chose Youth Indigenous Leadership Initiatives because I don't want to pinhole myself into just one category. So. I get to choose how I get, how I donate my money. And so far I've been able to donate laptops. So I donated five laptops and I just had a draw on my Facebook page. And I, um, you know, I got the young people to write in. They could choose between three things. They could either write about leadership, they could write about their goals, or they could write about a role model. And I was able to gift five laptops. I have been able to do art contests and now I am saving towards a couple of bursaries because I want to do some bursaries next. 
So that's really exciting. And, you know, I get to, I get to give back and I get to choose how that looks and how that happens. But one thing I want to, I really want to stress is that if you have any type of dream that you want to pursue, some talents, anything creative, some passions, you know, don't wait for somebody to tell you to chase your dreams. Just listen to that voice inside of you that is telling you to chase your dreams. That voice is really strong and that voice deserves to be listened to. You know yourself better than anyone. Don't let strangers dictate what you're supposed to be or how you're supposed to live your life or how you're supposed to spend your free time. You get to do that for yourself. And when you're pursuing your passion, it never feels like work, even though it takes so much work to do. And it's, you know, really, really hard at times. But because you enjoy it so thoroughly, it never feels like work. I remember in the early, early stages when I first started writing my book, uh, I just used to write my ideas on paper, like I used to have loose leaf and, and you know, you know, write all, write my story on there. And then me and my husband, we went to the electronic store one day and he helped me put a laptop on layaway because at that time, you know, laptops were a lot more expensive and we didn't have a lot of money back then. We were just um, a young family. And we put a laptop on layaway and a couple months later, I was able to get my laptop out. And I remember taking all of my notes and everything. And I was so excited. I got to type them all up and put them onto my computer. And that was the same laptop that I finished writing my book with. And it was a really long process. Like when I say seven years, it's not that I wrote every day. Like I, there were months and months where I didn't write because life gets busy. You know, you're a mom and or I shouldn't say mom, you know, you're a parent. And um, we always put everybody else first and we put ourselves last. And I did that for a long time. And I had little spurts where I would write, you know, a chapter here and then not write for a long time and then write a couple of pages again and then not write for a long time. But I thought about my book every day. And when I say every day, I mean every day. It was always in the back of my mind and sometimes in the front of my mind. And sometimes I just did not take the time to write. And I used to get really scared because I don't know where I read this or if somebody told me this, but I heard somewhere that sometimes ideas are like gifts and, you know, you're gifted with this idea and that idea becomes yours. But you have to honor that idea. And when I say honor it, it means that you have to see it through to the end. And if you don't honor that idea and, you know, that, that create, that creativity, then that idea will feel abandoned and will move on to the next person. And then, you know, somebody else who appreciates that idea and actually wants to foster that idea and see it to fruition, that's who that idea will then belong to. And I don't know if that's just freaking baloney, but that was always in the back of my mind. And I'm like, oh my God, somebody else, this idea is going to leave me and it's going to make its home in somebody else's mind. And, you know, it's, you know, it's no longer going to be mine and somebody else will write this book and I will be crying because I did not take the time to write it down. Silly as it may sound, that's what I believed. 
And I also had this other quote in my head that would, that plagued me or not plagued me. It kind of spurned me on was, you know, Wayne Dyer said, you know, don't die with the music still in you. And I kind of just changed it. And I, I had it in my mind, you know, don't die with the story still in your mind. And I really did not, you know, ever want to go to the end of my life without ever being able to take to get the story out of my mind. I really, really wanted to have it released. And I'm very, very proud that I was able to do it. I honestly didn't even know what my next steps were after, like after it was done. I just wanted the process itself to have been completed that I didn't even know what my next steps were. But one of the greatest feelings is to just have accomplished something that you worked so hard on for such a long time. And I'm so proud of my book. It's called The Tale of Tiger Lily, and it's a beautiful, beautiful story. It's full of adventure. It's full of so many exciting and sometimes sad events. And I can't wait to write part two. I've actually decided to begin writing um, the next book in January. So I already know what the next book is going to be about. I know how, I know the events that are going to happen. So now it's just the, the writing process all over again. And hopefully it doesn't take me as long this time. But maybe in one of my podcasts in the future, I can um, tell you a little bit about the characters and um, how I develop their personalities and, and stuff. But I just want to thank you for listening. And I really do encourage you, if you have an idea, just begin. And no matter how hard it is, don't lose faith and don't ever stop believing in yourself. And my book is called The Tale of Tiger Lily. It's on Amazon. You can get it online through Chapters, Barnes and Noble, anywhere that books are sold. And I also want to mention that I hit number one on my in my category on Amazon. So that was a really big accomplishment as well. And something that I'm I'm really excited about because again, I never thought in a million years that the book would um, take on a life like that. So if you want to get the book for yourself, again, it's on Amazon. And there's also order forms on my website at www.jillfeatherstone.com. And you can I offer discounts to schools and organizations. And again, I donate a portion of the proceeds to Indigenous Youth Leadership Initiatives. So thank you so much for listening and we will see you again next week. Bye for now. Thank you for listening and I hope you were able to find a takeaway from this episode. Don't forget to share with a friend who may need some motivation today or share on your social media and inspire all your friends. And if you'd like some live inspiration, join us on December 2nd in Winnipeg at our live event. Just visit www.jillfeatherstone.com for details. Bye for now.